When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome in to episode 243 of the Sources Say podcast, your go-to Kentucky basketball and recruiting podcast on the Growing KSR Podcast Network. Sources Say is, as always, presented by our good friends at Justice Dental. Visit one of their two Lexington locations. It's on Blazer Parkway and Wellington Way by scheduling an appointment online at justicedental.com or by calling 859-543-0700. You can even send a text message to one of their Friendly team members at the same number to ask a question or make an appointment. Now is a great time to schedule your dental cleaning. Dr. Thompson, Dr. Justice, and their team strive to provide you with good oral health in a comfortable environment. The Justice Dental Team looks forward to seeing you soon. I'm your host, Jack Pilgrim of Kentucky Sports Radio. Very happy to be joined once again by Sean Smith of Go Big Blue Country. Sean, how the heck are you? I am fantastic, Jack Pilgrim. How are you? Oh, goodness gracious. I have never been better. Uh, a game that I don't think anybody could have predicted Kentucky to go in and win, especially the way they won it, Sean. Uh, I don't think anybody could have imagined, considering all of the just outlying circumstances, you have Cason Wallace go down with an ankle injury. He does not participate. You have Sabri Wheeler dealing with a minor procedure that he undergoes on Wednesday. He is out for the foreseeable future. Uh, at least until the NCAA tournament, he is out. And then you have C.J. Frederick uh, dealing with unbelievably excruciating pain on his rib. He took an elbow to uh, the rib in the home loss against Vanderbilt, and his status was very, very, very much up in the air going into this one. And I'll, I'll dive into that here just a little bit. But uh, And then just as the game's going on, Oscar Sheway deals with foul trouble. He ultimately fouls out with five minutes to go in a three-possession game. Uh, in a home, in you know, a road environment, Bud Walton Arena, known as one of the most hostile, uh, you know, not road friendly uh, environments, and against all of those odds, Kentucky not just wins but makes a statement in an eighty eight seventy nine victory against the Arkansas Razorbacks. Sean, uh, plenty of directions to go with this, but but I, I think just the resiliency and the way they were able to overcome it in a matchup that I don't think anybody expected them to win in that fashion. Um, Definitely bodes well as the regular season comes to an end and postseason begins. Oh, it's it was the perfect way to close the regular season and, and to build momentum going into conference tournament play, and then just now a week away from Selection Sunday. I mean, this is this is getting real now, and, and Kentucky has a resume that is honestly it's impressive. If if you could remove just the quad four and the quad three losses, if you could just take it, honestly, if you could just take the quad four loss out, it's one of the better resumes in college basketball when you're talking quad one wins and they have a chance to 
get to 500 in that category, get above 500 in that category. There's a couple of opponents and, and teams that I'm watching as we get into league tournament week that are climbing in the net, and we'll get to that in a moment. But just talking about yesterday and, and what happened, I tweeted out when the game started that Kentucky needed a big day from Antonio Reeves because, one, he was going to have the ball in his hands a lot. Well, early in the game, it was Oscar that was getting all the shots. The way Arkansas was was using their pressure and things like that and being aggressive, it was giving Oscar some high-low opportunities, some post-up opportunities. Jack, he didn't score a single point from like certain point in the first half all the way through the end of the game. And Kentucky, can, they never gave up the lead from late first half on and just carried it all the way through the end, all because Antonio Reeves in that middle ball screen, they found something there. And this is the big thing about it. It forced Kentucky's guy that has to be a scorer to go do what? Score the ball. And Wednesday night against Vandy, it was an on-the-fly thing where he had to go do it. They had two days to prepare, and you saw the difference. John Calipari put some stuff in there, and it was a lot of middle ball screen. It was a lot of him off the ball and making reads, curling, and getting to that floater. It wasn't like he took a ton of threes. He hit two threes, only shot four. An efficient 37 points, 12 of 17, a perfect 11 of 11 at the free throw line. It's not like he was out here shooting 28, 30 to 30 shots. He was efficient in that performance. And I think what you're going to see now, it's given him a boost of confidence that he knows he's Kentucky's guy to score the ball on the perimeter. Kaysen's, if he gets back, he's going to be able to do it. But what he did yesterday, and then we'll get to Jacob Toppin too because I think he was equally as important. But what Antonio Reeves did yesterday in that moment is a performance that we will always remember giving the circumstances that Kentucky entered that game with. Just the fourth player in the John Calipari era to uh, go for 37 in a game. He joins De'Aaron Fox, uh, Malik Monk, who went for 47 in that game uh, out in Las Vegas uh, in the um, CBS Sports Classic against North Carolina. And um, Oscar Sheboy this year went for 37 and 24, a game that we said video game numbers. We've never seen domination the way he did. And then go figure – uh, just a couple weeks later, m- month month and a half later, you get uh, Antonio Reeves in a situation, like you said, Sean, thrown into the fire where he, we saw him about as uncomfortable as you could imagine in the second half, you know, trying to navigate. And it's so hard navigating being the go-to playmaker, the go-to facilitator, while also being the I'm, I'm, a, I'm a professional bucket getter in my own right. And I need to figure out how to continue to get, you know, my own shots off and, and create for myself too. Finding that fine line and that middle ground is so difficult to do. If you have been an off-ball guy all season long and thriving as a, you know, as a trail man, as a catch-and-shoot guy in the corner or on the wing or whatever the case is, you know, that's been his game all season long. And that's where we've seen him emerge, you know, that, that Auburn game just two games ago. That that was Antonio Reeves at his best. And it was exclusively as an off-ball guy. So for him to, you know, take on this role after looking so uncomfortable just three days before uh, and, and embrace that while playing complimentary basketball as Adu Thero comes in and, and, you know, writes the ship in his limited minutes. And Jacob Toppin bring the ball up the floor. John Calipari put that in in practice on Friday. On Friday, Cal brought up that. All right, he said, well, we got I mean, we, we have two primary ball handlers. You got to be one, Jacob. Sorry, we got to figure it out with you. So for, for them to adjust on the fly and and work so cohesively and, and and play complimentary basketball in a game that they had no reason to. I mean, look, 
if this if this game unfolded the way we all expected it, nobody would have said anything. If they had gone in there and said, well, we're down Case and we're down Savir, CJ is limping up and down the floor, basically holding his hip like a 90-year-old man because he's absolutely broken, and, and Kentucky goes in there and gets steamrolled by 20, nobody would have said a word. But they didn't, and they responded, and John Calipari had them with a winning men- mentality, a winning mindset, and that is that is freaking huge for this team. It is. It is. And, and when you look at the box score, a lot of things stand out, but the biggest thing is everybody that played contributed in some capacity. I mean, Chris Livingston played 34 minutes. I know he didn't have his best game. But he continued to rebound, finished with nine total rebounds in the game. So a factor on the glass. Adu Thiero, I don't know if me and you ever thought at any point a year ago, not even a year ago, this it's like 11 months ago, me and you're sitting here like, who is Adu Thiero? Remember when we talked about that podcast? You're like, I don't know who he is, but we're going to talk about it. So did you ever think that last game regular season, Adu Thiero would be playing 24 minutes on the road at Bud Walton Arena and making an impact seven points? Five rebounds, two assists. I mean, he he made an impact. Damian Collins might be that might have been the fastest foul out performance I've ever seen in the history of basketball. But four <laughs> points, and he got all he got his money's worth with all five fouls. Like every guy was needed. Lance Ware, four points, five rebounds in seventeen minutes. Everyone made an impact in that game. Every single person that played made an impact, including C.J. Frederick. Been able to play four assists from CJ, two points in 15 minutes. Overall, four. How about this? No point guard, 14 assists on 29 made shots, 88 points on the road at Bud Walton Arena, 26 of 33 at the free throw line, and a total of 15 turnovers with no point guard against a team that specifically thrives in that area a team that thrives in transition and and, and goes out of its way to force turnovers and play you know hard-nosed defense and 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 really try to use their length and athleticism and you know those physical traits to produce on the other end like uh, this was a game that if they had turned the ball over 25 times they we would have said yeah don't got a point guard it is what it is but uh, and, and I agree, man. And, and I, I, you brought up Jacob Toppin earlier, and I think there's no other way to, you know, go next step of the show than than bringing up just the value that Jacob Toppin was, and, and especially for a guy, Sean, that the game before, I he took that loss so personally, and mm-hmm. and the quote was just, I mean, it's almost sad, man. He said, I, "I would put this loss on me because of what I did in the in, in the first half that sparked their run." Toward the end of the first half, I messed up on two plays, and then Coach Cal said something to me, and I got an attitude. I got selfish, and I argued back with him, told him to take me out, and that was selfish. We shouldn't have been in the game with them, so that's why I'm putting this game on me. I've got to be better, especially as a leader. This is a guy that has had so – I mean, probably the biggest ups and downs of anybody on this roster, I'd argue, and and how vulnerable he's been with the media and talking about how, you know, much of a dark place he was in after that Missouri loss and, uh, you know, hitting rock bottom and, you know, just the accountability that he has had. If he's going to be that down on himself for that performance on Wednesday, Sean, and, and take ownership of that loss, and, you know, I don't think it's fair for him to be that hard on himself in a game that everybody 
deserve some, you know, some credit for the loss. He took all of it on his chest and said, all right, I, I, I am the reason we lost this game. I need to f- get myself figured out. That, that takes a man. Like that takes a mature man. Somebody that John Calipari joked was 12 years old when the season started and had maturing to do and those things that that's a man response. And if he's going to be that hard on himself for that performance at Vanderbilt, he better be damn proud of himself for a 21.6 of nine shooting, two of three from three, seven of eight free throw performance, four rebounds, three assists, one block, one steal in 38 minutes as a 6'10 point guard in an environment like Bud Walton Arena in Fayetteville, backs against the wall, number three seed uh, on the line for the SEC tournament. And you go out and, and make the clutch shots that he did, the step back threes that he did, that baseline 15 footer that he hit, that's a man performance. And, and if he's going to be that hard on himself for, for how he played uh, against Vanderbilt, he better love on himself for for putting on a man performance in Fayetteville. He, he's been the biggest reason for Kentucky's turnaround has been Jacob Topper. Uh, he's, he's been the biggest reason for their turnaround in, from mid-February until now. Mr. Consistency is what I call him. He's making an impact every single night, with whether it be his, his defensive ability or – his ability to make shots now and plays at the rim, his energy, just everything that he's doing. I mean, it's another efficient line. So nine shot attempts, and he finishes with 21 points. And seven of eight at the free throw line. The efficiency, two of three from three. Just the efficiency overall that Kentucky's guys played with yesterday is the thing that stands out the most. I mean, they took 54 shots on the road, and they scored 88 points. Without a point guard, without Casey Wallace, without a Savir Wheeler, without a healthy CJ Frederick. Like, this is a team that has been beaten up for a while. They haven't been at full strength. And they're finding a way. It's that refuse to lose mentality that they've taken on. And now you're starting to, to kind of creep in. And, and what they did, and this is where why I stayed so positive Wednesday or Thursday when we recorded <clears throat> post Vandy. It's because I was like, nothing that happened Wednesday night made me feel any different about what I'd seen the previous four games. And I know there were some people still hitting the panic button because it was senior night lost to Vanderbilt at home, but go look at what Vandy's doing. One of the hottest teams in college basketball and that honestly should be a bubble team entering the SEC tournament. And they're at 82nd in the net. You don't want them to climb to a quad one now because that would mean that they beat Kentucky. So you want to sacrifice that to get another quad one win and a quad two loss at home, but just – the way that Kentucky's been playing, I thought the scrappiness Wednesday night against Vandy and having a chance to win shorthanded on the fly, mounting a comeback, I honestly thought it did more for the team positively than it did negatively because it forced – and look at look at, look what it did yesterday. Antonio Reeves knew, I have to make shots today or we're taking another loss. And the way that they looked when they walked past me and you Wednesday night to go to radio, that looked like a pissed-off – group of guys walking to the table to talk to Tom. And that's when I was like, I'm a, this is okay. I feel okay about what just happened tonight. They backed it up yesterday. I honestly think it almost cancels out what happened Wednesday night against Vandy. Because if you can go to Bud Walton Arena and get a quad one win without a point guard, it says a lot about what you are and who you are as a team. And now if you get to play Vandy in Nashville, and I think they will, you get a chance to cancel it out even more. So this is a team that's really – I put it yesterday. I think and, – and this is crazy. I don't think that they can fall to an eight. I think they're 
firmly a seven seed right now, even if they lose the opening round of the SEC tournament. But I think they could climb as high as a five. So I'm thinking five through seven. I don't ever remember being that wide range of, of seeding possibilities entering the league tournament for Kentucky at any point. But I could see them anywhere from a five to a seven. I don't see them falling to an eight. I just think that they've done too much in the quad one category to drop that far. Yeah, and I think Joe Lenardi, as of right now, has Kentucky as a seven in his latest update and has them, I think, playing West Virginia in the first round or something. And, and, yeah, I, and I Columbus. Yeah, I, I don't think that's fair and reflects the resume that Kentucky has built. Look, they're six and seven in quad one games. That Auburn win is a quad two as of right now, and but they're 32 right now. And, and you know, if they make some magic and, and uh, you know, if they pull off a win in Nashville against Arkansas in the opening round, I think they're pretty firmly in there. As you said, Vandy don't want them approaching quad one territory because they're still at 82 somehow. It makes no sense how they are. But Michigan at 53, they're they're three spots away. And I mean, but at this point, it is what it is. Kentucky has done enough to build that resume to the point where who cares? They they had to take care of business in these last six games of the regular season after that loss in Athens. And they did just that. They, They won the games they were supposed to would like to you know, take away that loss at home against Vanderbilt. But that was, as you said, Vandy's playing its best basketball of the year, one of the hottest teams in college basketball. They weren't going to – Jerry Stackhouse wasn't going to let that team come in and roll over. And yeah. they had something to play for. Liam Robbins goes down in the first four minutes, their best player. He had been dealing with injury pl- problems all year. He was an all-SEC level big playing his best season uh, of his career. They had something to play for. Kentucky lost its – Footing with, you know, literally with Kaysen going down two minutes into the second half. It was just a, a wacky turn of events. And I think that's why we were so optimistic on this show on Thursday, because uh, they they had built up equity with us. I, I think when, when you when when you play the way you did and, and call your shot the way they did, because after that loss in Athens, we went on this show and said, Cal was saying, oh, we, you know, the, the the path is there for us. We have six games left in the regular season, plenty of opportunities to build a resume. Oscar Sheboy was saying, all we got to do is fight. You know, we can still have a, a special finish this season. All we got to do is fight. When they said that at that time, it was just like, dude, come on now. Like, what what have you done to prove that that's something that's going to happen? Like, and and I don't think we were unfair in that you know, in that mindset, but at the same time, they proved everybody wrong. They went on on a run, and uh, that one brief slip up does not didn't hurt my feelings at the time. It was you know just unfortunate how it's how it unfolded, but this was the response that you wanted from this team, and and just like you said, that refuse to lose mentality, that fight. Uh, I mean, it, this is this is what you want as as the postseason approaches, you're now locking in the number three seed in Nashville. Uh, you're going to probably take on Vanderbilt in that opening round. Uh, one more day of rest for C.J. Frederick, one more day of rest for Cason Wallace, whatever happens with Savi Wheeler, whatever. Uh, at that point, it doesn't matter. You, you're getting your your best players. You're getting the entire roster healthy at the right time and this is how you this is how you should be feeling. This is how a John Calipari team should be feeling March 5th entering the week of SEC tournament play. Yeah, absolutely. And I know as the week goes along, we will dive into the to the bracket, the SEC tournament and things. But just going off of Joe Lenardi's latest updates, there's a lot to play for in Nashville. 
I mean, you've got Auburn who picked up the win against Tennessee yesterday that is the last four buys when it comes to the bubble. So they're in. And then you've got Mississippi State who's in the last four in, according to Joe. And then on that next four outline is Vanderbilt. So the seventh team out of the tournament right now currently on Joe Lenardi's list have won, what, eight of nine, I think, to close the year. And a lot of good wins mixed in there. If Kentucky draws Vandy and Nashville, they're playing a desperate team. And that's okay. Like I said the other day, they were playing a desperate Vandy team to enter Rupp Arena. I would much rather be playing those teams right now than teams you're going to beat by 30 or beat by 25. Like you want teams that are going to give you that tournament atmosphere, tournament mentality to attack you with. And uh, Michigan, another team on that next four outline right there for for Joe Lenardi that you, you want to watch too because if you're a Kentucky fan, you want to be pulling for Auburn. And you want to be pulling for Michigan because you could look up by Friday night when you tip off. Instead of being six and seven in quad one, you could be eight and seven. You could win two quad one games sitting there and not even taking the floor yet. And then you have an opportunity, regardless if you win Friday night, whoever you're playing Saturday, AM, Arkansas, Auburn, all three quad one opportunities. So then you're talking nine quad one wins. If you get some help here and you go win the SEC tournament, you're talking 10 quad one wins. My only kickback to that is how high do they have to climb to get out of Louisville possibly? You know what I mean? Like if you if you get into that four seed, five seed range, are they going to stick them in Louisville? Probably not because they're not going to have them playing. I mean, here's the thing. Like if you're if you're Kentucky and you're playing Purdue, or somebody like that, like, is it going to be fair to Purdue to have to play Kentucky and Louisville or something like that if they climb to a certain number of seed? I, I don't know. Like, it just – you get what I'm saying? Like, I, I, there's there's an advantage to kind of being where they are because they still might get Louisville. And already has them there. He has them Columbus-Louisville. That would be the perfect scenario. I don't care who they're playing. You give me Columbus-Louisville to get to the Final Four, I don't care who is the one seed there. But it, there's a lot to play for and a lot to watch. A lot of bubble teams and stuff that are that, that bubble's going to shrink. We know there's going to be some bid stealers over the course of the next week or so, but man, it's fun. And it, it is fun to actually, because a month ago we thought we were going to be doing what? Not talking about basketball in March and roster turnover and attrition. Now, this team turned it on. We're going to be talking a lot of fun in Nashville. We're going to be talking a lot of fun with the bracket next Sunday. And uh, Kentucky basketball is in a place where I think John Calipari deserves a ton of credit for the performance that he put on yesterday. And you see, how about when uh, they called him for the coach's box warning for being out on the floor and he turns and screams, back up, back up, like screaming at everybody. He didn't care. He just kept going. And he didn't have much room to start with. Like that was an intentionally placed thing. You look at Arkansas's bench and Musselman had a ton of room to move around and Cal had no room. By the way, what an embarrassment for Arkansas yesterday. Absolute embarrassment. That game yesterday took Eric Musselman off my list of possible candidates to replace John Calipari at Kentucky because that's how embarrassed I was for him. I, I thought it was disgusting. I thought the approach to try to frustrate Kentucky was disgusting. I saw him complain more yesterday than I've ever seen him complain as a head coach who had beaten Kentucky three straight times. And I don't know why he acted like this was the one he wanted more than the other three. But that, that's what I felt when I watched the game yesterday. I mean, the stuff and the chippiness and everything, like, what are you doing? You're too good for that. And and that's my confusion because they they wrote 
an unbelievable blueprint in Rupp Arena. I, I mean, yeah. they have the athletes, they have the athleticism, they, they have the length, they have the physicality, the big guards that Kentucky doesn't have a mismatch for. Alongside Kaysen Wallace being out the one guy that was kind of the side, the thorn in their side in Rupp Arena, you have that unbelievably clear mismatch opportunity, you know, from a yeah. Do you get Nick Smith Jr. back? Yeah, this on paper was an unbelievable mismatch, and they had the blueprint, uh, you know, a worst-case scenario of what it was up in Rupp Arena, no Nick Smith plus Case and Wallace up there. Then you switch those roles down in in Fayetteville. That should have been Eric Musselman licking his lips going, dude, we got 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 the the matchup mismatch scenario of of the century and his mindset of throwing all of that out and and you you could kind of listen to some of his words uh, during his pregame press conference he talked about that he said well what happened up in Rupp Arena is irrelevant Uh, you know both teams got to throw the throw out what happened because we're both going to adjust accordingly and to see a guy who to his credit I think is a brilliant basketball mind and does really you know does really really good things as a head coach for him to see that and know that the the mismatch that he has and throw all of that out and say, ah, you know what's going to get them beat? We know they're shorthanded, so let's get under their best player's skin. Let's get under Oscar Sheboy's skin. Let's get him out of the game. Let's, let's just try to get him ejected. Let's get under, you know, let's make Antonio Rees uncomfortable. Let's make Jacob Toppin uncomfortable. Let's try to make, you know, a do Thero. We know CJ Frederick's banged up. Let's, you know, kind of throw some elbows and play a little bit more physical with him. Like that, their mindset was let's focus on making them as uncomfortable as possible instead of just playing to their own strengths. That on paper, they it was a mismatch in their favor and they went completely against it. It just what a terrible, unbelievably terrible game plan on Eric Musselman's part. Well, the, the, the thing that I always go back to as a coach is when you have success against a team, it's the other team that has to change things. Kentucky was the team that had to change. Arkansas was the team that they, like you said, they had the blueprint to to do what they did and had the success that they had. And give John Calipari credit, he changed a ton of things. Defensively, everything that they did in this matchup compared to what they did the first time against Arkansas. But the approach was there. You could tell that Musselman wanted to frustrate Kentucky. You could tell uh, the way that his players reacted to every single call. And eventually, you know, an ejection, a technical an ejection, oh, because of a, I mean, a, honestly, a, a grab. It was a foul right there on uh, Antonio against Antonio Reeves. And we react that way. Like, what are, what are we doing? Like, so it, the plan backfired and it played in favor of Kentucky. And you could tell that Cal was, you know, Cal even had that look on his face a couple of times. Like, what the heck is going on right now? Like, are we, what are we doing? Like, that's a team with enough talent to make a run and do some things. And I just, I thought it was an embarrassment. I really, truly thought it was an embarrassment yesterday. And in a game that Arkansas goes two for 20 on layups <laughs> and missed 12 free throws. Yep. You're telling me that you spend all of your time and God, just they're, they're constant crying and nagging and, and complaining to the officials on every single ticky tack foul and, they they were fouls. This was a physical, physical game that both sides were, you know, playing chippy and with, you know, playing with an edge and 
And, and you know, to Kentucky's credit, they didn't fold when 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 the going got tough on their end. But uh, this was a game both sides got. They both went to the free throw line a ton of times. A combined like fifty something, about thirty three free throws for Kentucky, uh, thirty four for you know sixty seven combined free throws for both teams. Like this wasn't a uh, you know, and I, I just going through social media. Arkansas fans will just not shut the hell up about the foul calls and and, and oh well, the refs cheated in favor. Oscar Sheboy should have been ejected. And and okay, if you if you feel that Oscar should have been ejected, I I. I it is what it is. Oscar needs to reel that stuff in and and not let, you know, that, like we said, that was clearly at the top of their scouting report, top of their game plan, uh, something that they were hoping for. And Oscar played into that. And you, you just can't do that in that circumstance. And uh, it is what it is. But the rest went to the monitors. They all agreed. All right. It's two minutes into the game. We got to reel this stuff in. And then Oscar almost did it at the end of the first half. And it, it was just really untimely. Uh, situational stuff on, on his end. I get it. But big picture, it was a finally, it, it was a, a the, it was a fairly called game. Fine. I don't disagree with, uh, with either side. I think that they both did their part. I think the fouls that they called were, were completely fair. And it was just a, a product of what the game presented. Uh, so for Arkansas fans complaining about that, I, I would be more concerned that you guys missed 12 free throws and went two for 20 at the, uh, at, uh, on layups then you complaining about the refs cheating you out of a game. It feels like you guys are, are more uh, emotional than than you need to be uh, spending that time in practice working on free throws. I thought it was a one of the most one of the gutsiest wins of John Calipari's tenure at Kentucky. Given the the moment, the kind of the, the season up until this point. It'd have been easy to hire. I mean, the committee's not going to crush Kentucky for going on the road without Casey Wallace and Xavier Wheeler and losing at Bud Walton Arena. But the committee is going to reward them if they go do it. It's one of those games that if you lose it, it didn't crush you. But if you win it, it helps you tremendously. That one is going to get more attention on Selection Sunday than Vandy. That's the difference. That one kind of takes some of the. They had to have some things happen to escape South Carolina. South Carolina is still going to show up on paper, but I'm telling you, the eye test is what you look at. You can look at paper for a while, but the eye test, too, is going to come back. And Kentucky's passing the eye test the last three weeks. Even with the loss to Vandy sandwiched in between five of six, what they've done and the way that they've done it with multiple guys playing well, and then their star guard out, and they go on the road and do it, and it forces a guy to have a career game. Kentucky's passing the eye test, Jack. And still, to me, one of the hotter teams in college basketball, and I think they should remain in the AP Top 25, even though they lost at home to Vandy. I think they should probably be sitting somewhere where they are or maybe go up a spot. Because you can't you can't put punish them for what happened Wednesday and then, you know, just reward them for what happened Saturday. You, you, there's got to be – I'd leave them put. Like, I think they're still a top 25 team. It doesn't matter because seeding is going to play into it, whether you're in the AP top 25 or not here in about a week. But I just think that what Kentucky's done over the course of the last three weeks is they've they've taken what we thought was a team that if they would just have to fight and claw to make it in and prob- probably a first weekend team, starting to make me think that the adversity that they're going through and the way that they're being forced to play without guys and step up and they, look they've Kentucky in the last month has faced everything that they could possibly face point guard no point guard uh shooters out 
you know, Oscar Sheboy not playing best basketball for a stretch. They they faced everything that they could face. And I think that when it comes down to it, there's certain number of teams that are more prepared for postseason play. And I think Kentucky is one of those teams that is battle tested and prepared. But now what you need and these numbers reflect it. Antonio Reeves is going to have to produce for six straight games in the NCAA tournament because we've seen an off night from Antonio Reeves puts Kentucky in the danger zone, especially with C.J. Frederick banged up and not able to produce and not be a consistent three-point threat because he's not able to play a ton of minutes. Bad performances from Antonio Reeves. I don't want to say bad, but anything like Vandy the other night probably sends Kentucky home unless they have a tremendous defensive effort and get somebody else to kind of go. But I just feel like that Reeves is the guy that if he plays well, Kentucky plays well and Kentucky wins. And I think that's the key in March. He doesn't have to go for 37. He just has to hit shots when his number's called upon, and he can't have a two-for-12 performance. Like, it it doesn't have to be magical like it was yesterday, but he has to shoot somewhere north of 40% from the floor, I think, for Kentucky to to make a run in March. Does that – change your opinion at all about how this team needs to be run when Kaysen gets back healthy, when CJ's rib heals completely. Did did this kind of blueprint that John Calipari rolled out on the fly, the way he adjusted, does that change your thoughts on what Kentucky, what their identity needs to be this week in Nashville to a lesser extent, but to a greater extent, in win or go home scenarios in when NCAA tournament starts. If you need a bucket, I think you got to give Antonio Reeves the ball. I think somewhere middle ball screen with Antonio Reeves is, is what I go to if you need a bucket. Or you get some some pin down action and have him make a read, defender curls off of it, goes under. If it goes under, you're you're popping a three if he curls around or trails you're getting to that floater. I still want to see them post Oscar at times if they have an advantage. I thought that should have been the game plan late Wednesday night against Vandy. It was a pressure release type game plan against Arkansas, especially first half. They were being so aggressive that it was leaving Oscar so much ground to work with, so much room to work with, and so many opportunities at the rim that Kentucky took advantage of it. And I think that's what led to Kentucky getting the success that they did with the Reeves late in the game was Oscar's start to the game. And Oscar took what? I think he had eight shots early in the game, and he finished. He took three more the rest of the game, probably three more over the course of like 30 minutes, and fouled out, and Kentucky was able to hold on. So I do think the approach, you still want the ball in Kaysen's hands. Kaysen's going to do a lot of things. He's going to get some assists. He's going to set the table for some other people. But I still think when you need a bucket, Antonio Reeves has got to be your bucket getter. And the thing that I like about it, you're not trying to post Oscar. If he misses a shot, you've got Oscar in there to grab an offensive rebound and clean it up. If he's posting up, he's not going to have that position to get an offensive rebound. So that's the one thing about it with him. So I'd like to see him go some two-man game too and clear some things out, maybe go some some middle ball screen with him and Oscar. But Kentucky has some options now. you got Jacob doing his thing off the bounce. You've got a confident three-point shooter. I think we're to the point now we can when Jacob Toppin shoots a three, I think it's going in. 50% SEC play, yeah. 13 of 20 overall. So, so a lot of good has happened. And this is where and, – and injuries aren't good. Like I don't – I said it last year. My concerns with being injured and stuff and working people back in and, and developing, reestablishing a rhythm, building that chemistry back, sometimes guys missing games 
plays into your favor because it forces uncomfortable spots for guys to be in. And the only way you grow is if you're uncomfortable. And let's face it, this backcourt's been uncomfortable for a while. When there's no Case and Wallace out there, you got to look around and you're you're a Duthiero, you're Antonio Ruiz, you're CJ Frederick, you're like, holy crap, like I got to do something that I'm not really called upon to do here. I didn't come to Kentucky to be a guy with the ball in my hands. But you find out who you are. And Antonio Reeves went back to Illinois State yesterday and became that three-level guy. Three-point shooter, mid-range game, finishes at the rim, floaters. That confidence switch here, just because Kaysen returns, you don't want to lose that. You found something there. I'm not saying you you completely overhaul and switch your entire offense, but I think that you have a large portion of it at certain points to play through it. And how about the way that they closed the first half and opened the second half? The exact opposite of what happened Wednesday night against Vandy. And Jacob was talking, Vandy's run Wednesday night was because of that moment he had. You those That stretch, that final four and opening four of each half is so important, but even more important when you have momentum on the road at Arkansas and you're without a point guard. And I thought Kentucky won the game in that closing segment of the first half in the opening segment of the second half. You brought up the word gutsy earlier, and I don't want to gloss over the impact that C.J. Frederick brought in just his the fact that his availability, what, what that did to change the game. Uh, it wasn't the 37-point scorer that won the most impactful player belt. It wasn't the 21-point scorer, uh, you know, responding after a, a letdown performance against Vanderbilt at home on senior night. It was C.J. Frederick who scored two points, didn't score a single basket, had four assists, zero turnovers, one steal in 15 minutes, a team high plus 16 and the plus minus. He was Kentucky's most impactful player. Uh, according to the coaching staff, they gave him the uh, most impactful player belt. I just want to share some details and, and just shed light on that decision for him to play because I, he has just earned such a, a bad rap for – you know, fans calling him soft and saying, well, he's injury prone. You know, he's made of glass. He's this, he's that. Uh, and it's, it's under, like, it's fair to say that he has had a really crappy string of injury luck. He has uh, dealt with a lot more little, you know, Nicky things here and there more than most guys go through. Absolutely. And that's very fair, but this is a kid that has a whole cracked rip. So this isn't this isn't bru a, a bruise. This isn't you know wear and tear. This isn't my legs you know are tired. What whatever. This is a an actual fracture in his rib that if you have ever ever had a cracked rib or a broken rib or whatever the case is, you understand that you can't breathe. You can't sleep. You can't you, you, you every. Every deep inhale, every cough, every laugh, every speed bump while you're driving, it all is excruciating pain. So this is what what CJ Frederick is going through. Uh, and I was told the elbow that he took, you know, he, he had gotten to the point where he was hurting, but it was manageable leading up to the Vanderbilt game. He 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 thought he felt pretty good against Auburn and, and recovered very, very nicely. And he was ready for the Vandy game. He took an, uh, he took a shot to the elbow or, or a shot to the rib with, with an elbow in that Vandy game. And it was 
I, I mean, like seeing stars level excruciating pain. We saw him as as he was leaving uh, to go back on the floor. We saw him. He's like hold actively holding his rib as he's going back out for post game radio. Like, damn, this hurts. And I was told basically all day Thursday, all day Friday was nonstop treatments, nonstop rest, trying to get in the the vibe around CJ, around the program was that he was not going to be able to give it a go. He was in unbelievable pain. Medical professionals told him, I wouldn't do it if I were you. It's your call. You, you can if you want to, but if it were me, I would, I would highly, highly suggest you take it easy let it rip. And it would have been so easy for that kid to say, dude, my body's breaking down, man. I need, I need to give myself some time. If you, if, if you want me ready for the SEC tournament, NCAA tournament, I need to take this one off. Let's just take this loss and and move on. Hopefully a dude steps up in my, in my absence, maybe point Jacob Toppin can save the day for us, but man, I just can't give it a go. I hope you guys respect that. When he learned that case and Wallace was going to be out, he said, I have to play in this game. I don't care how much I'm hurting. I'm not going to be able to give much, but I have to play in this game. And that was kind of a moment in the locker room that Cal kind of looked at him and was like, all right, we'll put you in positions where you, you know, you're going under on screens. You're not going to be taking tough hits. We're going to try to put you in position, limit you to whatever minutes you can do. But if you can make this happen for us, dude, you're going to save our momentum to close out the season. And and that's why there was so much positive attention directed towards CJ Frederick after that game, because he should not have played in that game. It was probably a dumb decision to play just from a pure health perspective, but he's a freaking winner and he's a warrior. And and it's, it, it is pretty unsettling to see people just constantly hate on him and say, he's, you know, he's soft, he's weak. He's, you know, he's this and that, because that's a tough SLB that had every reason to quit on his team in that circumstance. And it wouldn't even be quitting. He had a medical reason to not play. Doctors were saying, eh, I would probably reel it in. He went out there and he battled and he gave 15 damn hard minutes for, for the Cats and gave breathers elsewhere and got the ball away from guys uh, when, when situations got tough. And he was just that complimentary piece to help get that ball, that one extra pass, that one extra Keeping keeping things flowing, zero turnovers, fifteen minutes, a plus sixteen in his time on the floor. That's a damn warrior, and Kentucky does not win that game without. I agree, I agree. And and when people saw that video yesterday that Kentucky posted, you know, Chin Coleman talking about it, they're probably and I, I saw people like, what did CJ do? What did CJ do that was so significant? Antonio Reeves went for thirty seven, and Toppin went for twenty one, and Oscar had double double. No, just being able to play, just being available and on the floor and, and doing things and. Stuff like that. That's that's a warrior, and that's what Kentucky needs if they're going to make a run. But you know how I'm all the time talking about Ken Palm and net, and I mentioned Ken Palm and defensive efficiency and offensive efficiency. Well, Kentucky now 21st in Ken Palm. They're 14th in offensive efficiency, 66th in defense efficiency. I don't remember what that number was when we talked Thursday night or going into Vandy because we did a, a pregame show going into Vandy. But you remember what I said when it comes down to tournament time? I would rather be efficient in the offensive category than the defensive category. And I've got numbers to back it up. So the teams that Kentucky has beaten in recent weeks, they've beaten Tennessee, who is the number one defensive efficiency team in the country, according to Kempom. They have also beaten Arkansas yesterday, 17th in defensive efficiency. And then you just keep going down, and, and you look, Auburn, 25th in defensive efficiency. 
And then you keep digging, you keep going further. Mississippi State, eighth in defensive efficiency. They've all got significantly better defensive efficiency numbers than Kentucky has. But the one thing that they don't have is better offensive efficiency numbers. And what's one in the last month? Offense. And I just think that I would rather have the team that can score points, especially this time of year. Oh, how about this one? Florida, 30th in defensive efficiency, 115 in offense. Kentucky won both of them. So at what point in the last month has the defensive number meant anything? It hasn't. It hasn't. The, the team that's been the better offensive team has won the games. And I just think that that, that right there, I'm, I'm telling you, like it just it stands out to me a ton. You, you look at teams and what they're doing, and now Vandy, obviously, but Vandy is 23rd offensive efficiency, 172 in defense. Another one where the, the offensive number, a team that's better offensively than they are defensively, beat you. I just think that that's where it's at now. I think that that's the shift that, that you're looking at. And I think that whoever wins this thing and gets to a Final Four, I think you're going to be able to look up and you're going to be able to see that they're four, all four of them are efficient offensive teams in college basketball. And, and I think there's a difference between, you know, the Alabamas of the world that are live and die by your offense. Yeah. Versus I, I truly think that this team has the physical tools, you know, no matter what the numbers say, uh, in terms of defensive efficiency and, you know, some of the, the struggles and the, just the fundamental struggles that this team has dealt with. I think they have all of the physical tools necessary to step up when when push comes to shove. We've seen this team lock in defensively. I mean, we, uh, we've we seen this team kind of get, in, get itself into rock fights and win in that way. But the issue earlier on was that they had no offensive identity whatsoever, and they have earned one. I mean, they they have developed one, I mean, step-by-step gradual growth over the course of the season where where now, I mean, I trust them to to be one of the, the most efficient offensive teams in college basketball. And, and I, do, I do think that Kentucky has a very good offense right now and a – Mm, mediocre defense probably is fair to say, but I think I trust that mediocre to step up into the pretty solid territory in do or die games where you have no choice but to step up and lock in and, you know, no defensive slip ups like what Jacob Toppin said. That's all mentality. He has the physical tools to do it. We've seen him step up. It's just remaining engaged and staying locked in their slip-ups have come as, as a result of, you know, you don't lose engagement in the NCAA tournament, no. especially what this team, the pressure on this team to step up uh, in, in the NCAA tournament and, and the postseason expectations that this team has at, at this point. I, I just think when push comes to shove, they might not be elite offensively in postseason play, but I think they they could probably drop off just a hair to the very good territory, and I think the defense is going to step up from you know mediocre to uh, above average, and I think those two bars reflect a team capable of making a run. I do too, and and I, I just think that the the offensive numbers in himself is why I like Kentucky so much compared to maybe why last year I had a little bit of of, of question mark. Like I'm not going to get caught up in that they have you have to be in the top twenty in both categories. I mean, you, you look at Gonzaga and where they are. They're first in offensive efficiency and 88th in defensive efficiency. But you give, I'll, I'll take the the most efficient offense and say, all right, I'll just outscore you tonight and hit shots. 
And I, I think that Kentucky's in, in a spot where that offensive efficiency has continued to get better, especially over the course of the last month. And that's the, the part that we were hammering on early in the season. What are you doing offensively? What is Kentucky doing offensively? They have no rhythm. They're they're out of sync. They're out of sorts. Not anymore. They're they're efficient on that end of the floor. And it backs it up because they didn't have a point guard and they put up 88 on the road at Arkansas without a point guard. You can't get any more efficient than that. that so, so how efficient, how hell, how efficient can you be when you actually have a point guard? It is it is so unfathomably stupid that Kentucky won that game. It is the, the, the way that they did, it's even more unfathomably stupid. That that is a rock fight, it would have made sense, but 88 without a point guard. No, they going into it. The only chance that Kentucky had to win that game was a 52 to 50. Let's muck things up, force them to make bad shots. Cause that's the, that, that's the scouting report on Arkansas. Go under on screens. Don't get beat off the dribble. No straight line drives. Let them shoot the ball. And Arkansas only turned the ball over six times for the that's entire game. And Kentucky's put up 88 and won. Arkansas shot 70 shots to Kentucky's 54. But got out, but got out rebounded. Kentucky out rebounded, but Arkansas shot sixteen more shots because Kentucky turned the ball over nine more times. So, and Arkansas got seventeen offensive rebounds to Kentucky's ten. So, I mean, that, that's what I'm saying. But Arkansas shot thirty five percent for the first half, thirty percent for the second half. Kentucky fifty three in the first or fifty three for the game, but fifty six to to close the game. Like. 14 to 25 in the second half. I mean, there there was a lot of good yesterday. Uh, like a lot of good where I think a lot of people were probably thinking, okay, here comes Kentucky. This looks like the team that we thought early in the season that was in that preseason ranking and discussion of with a reigning national player of the year that could be a final four run contending team. They now they've they've got they're going to have to do some stuff when they get in the NCAA tournament because the the non conference schedule will still hurt. Not winning a game against UCLA or a Michigan State or a Kansas or someone like that it, it's going to show up on Selection Sunday and that's why they're not going to be in that top four seed. If they had got one of those, we'd be talking four as probably the ceiling instead of a five. But they didn't get one. But that's okay. Because they're still they still have a chance to get north of quad one, five north of five hundred in the quad one category. I'm telling you, pull for Michigan, pull for Michigan today, pull for Michigan, or I don't I don't know what time they play today. They play today though, uh, but pull for Michigan in the Big Ten tournament and pull for Auburn up until the time that they uh, they play at four thirty. They play at Indiana. Pull for Michigan. Pull for Auburn. Auburn now 32 in the net. Michigan right there a couple spots out of a neutral floor quad one. Wouldn't it be something to look up in Nashville and you go from six and seven in quad one before you even tip off Friday night and we're sitting here talking that they're eight and seven in quad one? Oh, we won two games this week. Wow. How about that? And uh, the resume's coming together. A A team that three weeks ago I said had absolutely no resume now has a resume. Oh, wow. Uh, just, and, and we're going to save all the SEC tournament talk for this week, I think. Yeah, and I, I plan on getting down there Wednesday. I know you're not going to get down for till what, Friday morning, you said? Yeah, Friday morning I'll be down there. But but we're planning on riding this thing out. We're going to be doing live shows, uh, I think, every day while we're down there, breaking things down, what happened while we're there. Maybe not, you know, if it's just 
when, you know, the Wednesday night games or the Thursday night game or whatever, uh, you know, we don't have to, well, I guess we we'll be able to Thursday night, Friday morning, break down whatever, you know, preview, whatever the game is going yeah. on. But we want this to be an, an everyday thing while we're down there. And, and really just, you know, we, we deserve the opportunity to go all in with this after, after missing last year and the, the circumstances behind that one, damn, it's going to be fun to be able to, ride this ride this wave a little bit because this this is yeah. a really really cool time i still remember last year when you were sitting in the lobby of the hotel and you were getting started recording and you had sent out a tweet that we were going to do a show and nobody showed up and i was in an uber in the middle of a saint patrick's day parade in indianapolis remember and i had my uber drop me off like a half mile away and i ran and got there <laughs> and you're like why are you in a hurry nobody's even here I was all sweaty and everything. And then we know how that night ended. Total hell. But we're gonna speak speak good stuff into existence. No, no time for yeah, no no shoot around comments from you for the next six weeks. None. Don't even throw it out there. If you throw it if you throw it out there, I'm just gonna put my hand over your mouth right before you speak. What was the game earlier this year? Oh, it was the oh back in the Bahamas, the Bahamas. When, when I watched the Monterey Cheddar Tech whatever the hell team that was uh watched them down there and i watched them the night before and god bless they were terrible man they were unbelievably bad and i said i know i know i just got in trouble for this like three months ago i get it but we're gonna be able to name our name the score in that one <laughs> and i'm like don't do it don't do it oh uh, and and to our credit we won by 65 points or whatever it ended up being and it was a name your score game so I, I at least I, I'm one for two. I'm 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 batting five uh, five hundred after uh, a big old strikeout the first time around. But anyway, Sean, awesome show, great stuff, breaking down this uh, unbelievable win. What a way to finish a, a regular season of unbelievable more ups and downs than I can remember. Uh, if if you could ever classify something as a roller coaster, I, I don't think that you could describe it any better this season just so many ups and downs but fortunately for the cats they closed out the season five of their last six wins fire on all cylinders let's just get healthy let's get into nashville and have a good time while we're talking about it sean kentucky fans we know you'll be making your way to nashville for the sec tournament we say welcome back experience beautiful sumner county tennessee just minutes from nashville discover our storied history and strong country music heritage indulge in our delicious dining options Relax in the simplicity of our lake, parks, and farms. Connect with the authenticity of Sumner County, Tennessee. Head to visit SumnerTN.com to learn more. But you got to do it quick because SEC tournament starts on Wednesday. Uh, Kentucky plays Friday night, so you got to get that stuff booked. We got to meet you down there. Come say hi. We will be uh, all over the place, everywhere. Uh, make, make sure you come say hi to us while we're down there. It's going to be a great week in, in Nashville. Very much looking forward to that. Um, while we're at it, I guess we should also continue to plug uh, our guys at Run Your Pool. With postseason play comes March Madness, and with March Madness comes my favorite time of the year. Bracket Sourcesay is teaming up with Run Your Pool, the home of competition, bringing sports fans and their friends together to connect 
and compete with over 50 game types for every sport you can think of. It's a one-stop shop for sports gaming with over 2 million players. There's no better place to run your bracket for your friends, family, or office. That's where we come in. Sources say is hosting an official bracket competition with our listeners for cold, hard cash. Thanks to run your pool. It's simple. You fill out your picks for every game of the NCAA tournament and get points for each pick you get right. Top three finishers will be winning a grand total of $500 from run your pool with first place taking home a smooth $300, second place taking home $150, and third place taking home $50. The best part, it's completely free to play. Listeners competing against me, Sean, Steven, the whole KSR crew, no strings attached. Just sign up at play.runyourpool.com slash sources dash say and get your picks in when the bracket is live on Selection Sunday. It is that easy. That is play that runyourpool.com slash sources dash say to compete against source say crew for cold hard cash Sean, great show let's get the heck out of here where can fans find your work you can find my work at gobigbluecountry.com and you can follow me on twitter at gbb country find me on twitter as well at jack pilgrim ksr reach out to me via email jpilgrim at kentucky sports radio.com that we'll be back later on this week for an sec tournament preview uh, and then obviously when we get down there to nashville we're gonna have a great time come say hi we are looking forward to meeting up with big blue nation it's gonna be a great time we will see you